Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we discuss a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoyli. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex. This is episode five, Sustainable Strike Back. Last episode, we welcomed our first guest, Thomas, to the show to discuss the history and clever design tricks behind the world's theme parks. Be sure to check out that episode and any others that take your fancy after this. So this week, we are going to be discussing and covering three recent sustainability design stories. And I suppose we should start by kind of vaguely summarizing them so that you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, we can do a little sort of news headlines thing here. So my first story I'm bringing to the table is going to be about uh, Singapore's recent approval of the first ever lab-grown chicken for sale, which is an Mm. interesting and cool thing. We'll be able to talk about that, as well as the grow-your-own-steak that has suddenly appeared in the UK. Yeah. (laughs) And the questions on that and the cannibalism that surrounds it. I have brought to the table various stories about bioplastics and bioleather, including two very interesting companies that are doing cool stuff with that. And then finally, I will be talking as well a bit about the German Rail Network's uh, trial that they've started of hydrogen-powered trains. Yes, that will feature George trying to very difficultly pronounce some German words. Yeah, I apologise to all Germans listening to the show. I, I don't speak German, so I will definitely butcher quite a lot of those German names. Fully understandable. So to get started, Singapore and their lab chicken. Yeah, so I read about this story in the week and it's it's just sort of cool because obviously there's a lot of discussion about you know the negative impacts of the meat industry in particular and we're too dependent on meat a lot of a lot of the world is too dependent on meat as part of our diets and don't want to change off of it that we do need a kind of alternative and there's been a lot of talk about cultured meats and you know growing lab yeah lab grown meat to replace these sort of things where it is meat, but it's not come from a slaughtered animal. And it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of a cool landmark step, I suppose, in that direction where Singapore is actually, well, they, yeah, the Singapore Food Agency has approved these chicken bites as safe for human consumption, which means it can be sold in, I believe it's a certain restaurant to start with, um, but I'm sure it will grow. Ha ha ha, ha 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 ha, really good pun there. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't even realise that, but that's a great pun, yeah. I thought that was the pause. You said, I'm sure it will grow and then just went silent. I thought you were definitely waiting for laughter. Oh, I, I, I genuinely wasn't. Ah. I'm just not good at comedy. Well, you can have some there for free. Yeah, so we've seen some of this before. We've seen lab-grown beef, very experimental, a while ago. Uh, I believe Jamie Oliver was the person who was like, hey, take a look at this. He kind of popularized it, I guess, is the word to use. Except it was never popular because it was never available. But it was just this far-out concept. And here we're seeing it, A, in chicken or poultry, but also now available to eat today if you go to Singapore. Yeah, if you're, if you're in Singapore, um, I, I think it's, it's either available now or going to be available very soon. But yes, it's, it is. It's because the lab-grown meats has been a sort of conversation for quite a few years. And as you said, yeah, Jamie Oliver talked about it for a while, but our food standards have to be pretty high because it's something we're actually eating and producing for human consumption. So 
it takes quite a while for these things to get through. And I think I believe this one has been going for about two years now, this sort of process to get this approved. But yeah, it's just a cool sort of moment, as I said, because we could see a realistic future, I suppose, now where we could all be living happy diets, eating meat, and it not be coming from your abattoirs and your slaughterhouses, which, I mean, I've never been to one, and I don't particularly want to go to one to see what it's actually like. But yeah, we can sort of be eating eating these sort of things without that those sort of ethical issues, as well as the environmental issues of how much you know carbon the meat industry releases. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point, is that environmentally, this is no question a great, fantastic move. Ethically, is it vegetarian and is it vegan? I have no idea. Because, okay, so I'm, yeah, I'm actually not sure. Because it's, it's, it's produced in bioreactors and it is grown from genuine chicken cells, but the chicken doesn't have to die to do it. I can't think where they get the original cells from now, but it's not, they don't have to kill a chicken in any, or harm a chicken in any way. It's just a sort of, yeah, grown from the cells. Mm. You see, I think in my, that to me sounds like, yes, it will be vegetarian, but no, it will not be vegan. Because vegetarianism is all about not killing animals, whereas veganism is all about animals not being able to basically give consent. So you don't have to kill a chicken to get these bioreactors to grow your chicken, but you do have to forcibly take some chicken cells from a chicken. Yeah, I suppose, and the chicken can't, as you say, give consent to to that process. Yes, that would be unless you can get the cells of the chicken from like a feather that falls out of it or something. Or it's poop. Maybe. Or, you know, something that it doesn't have to consent to giving you. It just gives, yeah, it just sort yeah. of releases naturally anyway. Maybe. I'm not 100% sure. I can have a look, see if I can see anything. Mm. Well, while G- George does a little Google, I'll just go on to say that the company, the product is called Chicken Bites, as we discussed earlier. And hilariously, they are produced by an American company called Eat Just, which is... It's a fantastic pun name. I I, I really love it because it's not only Just Eat, it's also you know eating just as in eating something which is just yes and it, it's it's the whole did somebody say eat just <laughs> there, there's, there's some fantastic kind of play on words there going i don't know how intentional that it was because just eat is a english thing is just eat not in america it's not no oh, I thought it was. well maybe it wasn't maybe it's a complete coincidence in which case that is a fantastic accident it's yeah it's even funnier so apparently yeah so the, the chicken cells are taken from a real live chicken doesn't involve killing the animal, so they're hoping that they can win win over some vegetarians and vegans. But apparently their main mark is for um, meat eaters. Yeah, that makes sense. It's an environmental choice over a ethical one. Yeah. Apparently they do use, at the moment, a serum from fetal cows as a growth medium, but they're hoping to switch to a plant-based one. That will be definitely a bit of a turn-off for them then. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I do wonder whether they, if this, these sort of things become more mainstream, more accessible. In, some vegans might just switch from being vegans. If, if, if the term vegan means that they can't eat it. Because there are some people that are vegan for the environmental reasons, not, the, not just the ethical reasons. Yes, absolutely. I, well, I suppose it's more that they have a vegan diet, I suppose, rather than being explicitly vegan. Exactly, because this brings in, and we were going to talk about this at the end of this, but the whole grow your own steak, right? So this is something that 
the Science Museum in London has just uh, essentially. I given... believe it was the Design Museum. Actually. The Design Museum was it? I believe so. I th- I think it was. Let me ha- let me let me find the article. All right, quick article search. But yeah, whichever museum it was, have essentially greenlit a purchasable thing you buy in like museum gift shop, where you put in your own DNA. So I assume by form of spit or possibly blood. And it will grow a steak somehow, which they had to specify that it's not cannibalism. Yeah, that's the headline of the article I found here. It's uh, grow your own human meat kit is technically not cannibalism. Yeah. I still don't feel particularly comfortable about it. No, I don't feel comfortable about it either. However, it is 100% vegan because under the definition of veganism, it's consent. So if you consent to growing your own meat, it's vegan. That's true, actually. Yeah. That is true. And there's there's an entire interesting discourse to be had around basically whether or not ethical cannibalism, if that even exists, is technically a vegan diet. I find it fascinating. I'll just say that. So is it is it not cannibalism because you're eating your own meat? Is that why it is, rather than yeah. eating someone They're They're saying it's not cannibalism because you're eating your own meat. However, if, I don't know, say you buy one for your kid and then you share the steak with your kid, are you eating their meat eating your own child yeah like it's got some very (laughs) interesting implications so apparently grown using human cells and blood um grown for the diner so it can be grown at home using your own cells which are harvested from the inside of their cheek and fed serum derived from expired donated blood it just sounds kind of horrific though doesn't it yeah i I don't think it's gonna take off It feels more like a sort of publicity thing. Yeah, it, it, I think so. Because I think if they try and sell, sell this in like a gift shop, it's going to be very expensive, first of all. And I don't think a lot of people are going to be all that excited about it. Especially if it comes with like a recipe card. You know, if it was like a tasting set. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Also, yeah, it comes from the, the serums from expired blood donations. That just makes it sound not, not okay. Yeah. Because hmm. hang on, surely that's, that's them eating someone else's blood as well well then maybe they don't well no they consented to their blood being donated uh yeah I, but then I, is it yeah then it comes into the question of cannibalism thing i yeah i'm not sure but back on to chicken bites um obviously yeah saves the slaughter of animals but it's a huge huge sustainability increase on drug and bacteria and animal waste and the amount of space and food they take up uh how, how close to actual meat would you say it would be I'm not 100 sure. So they, they apparently they combine it with plant based material, um, so it's 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 going to be much closer than any of those sort of attempted replacements because it is actually using meat. Yeah, the the same cells, I suppose. But I I presume it's going to have a different texture of some form, maybe. Mm. Maybe it's, it's it, they they do say it is slightly different. They you know they're not trying to make it out as the exact same thing just grown mm. have you ever had a beyond or impossible burger i don't think i have no i've been kind of tempted i, I do kind of want to try one but they're very good I've, I've had both um i've had impossible at a burger king in america so it was actually pretty horrendous but that was mostly because it's burger king not because of what it was <laughs> and uh in the bay area we can actually buy just pre-made beyond burger patties that you then, you know, just fry up on your own barbecue or in a pan. So whenever we have burgers now, we always have Beyond Ones. 
which are they're not vegan technically because they do have some animal stuff in them but it's not any meat at all they're fully vegetarian what are they made of then so they're it's a soy and bean based thing it's all natural um but it does have some like animal compounds that kind of keep it together and give it the meaty texture Uh, would you say it tastes a bit like a beef burger oh it absolutely does it tastes like a beef burger it's not beefy you know it doesn't have that like classic beefy thing but it has it's a beef burger if the beef was chicken okay if that makes any sense like it's still beef but it says a bit more like a chicken burger no 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 no. because it still tastes like beef but it doesn't have the strength of beef it has the like subtlety of chicken okay maybe that's a terrible description no i think i sort of get what you mean it's 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 hard to explain it's beef if beef was subtle basically yeah um i like it a lot some people who've had it have been like no this isn't really my thing I just, I just find it amazing that when you actually cook it, it does look exactly like kind of blood and fat is dripping out of it as it fries, even though it's like, you know, beetroot and lemon or something. I mean, I suppose beetroot juice does look a bit, yeah, a bit bloody. So yeah, so these chicken ones, the chicken grown stuff, it's, it is apparently currently quite expensive, um, but that's just because of the small scale that they're working with. Once they scale it up, it will become easily cheaper than conventional meat cuts and. Obviously, this opens. This is just chicken, but this opens. There's lots of other companies that are working on other meats, um, and I think is so. The the developer of this, from so the guy that, I presume it's the guy that owns or started up the uh, Eat Just. There was a quote from him that I read earlier about uh, the fact that it's you know they're hoping that these sort of lab grown meats can replace your traditional meat cuts. Mm. Um, but things like burgers and sausages, where it's more processed, will probably likely turn more to the the beyond um, style. Yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult to replicate like a steak slice with a beyond style thing, where it will be much easier with lab grown. Yeah, pre- precisely. Because everything that's meat that's kind of ground up is actually fairly easy to substitute. Yeah, because it's more mixed up. And it's mixed in with, I mean, like sausages, burgers, they're mixed with herbs and all these different things. Yeah, so the, the flavour can be adjusted and played with. But there you go, so that's, that's a cool, interesting thing. Um, would you be down for trying some lab-grown chicken? Uh, yeah, you know, sure. I'll, I, I'll give it a little bit of time, check that it's not, you know, let some people I trust have it first. <laughs> and then, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to go to Singapore to try it, but I think if something like this started up in London and I was in the area... Oh, yeah, I'd, for sure. I'd, I'd definitely go and have a, have a try. I'd be, I'm intrigued by it. If it made its way to the UK, I'd absolutely have it. So, moving on, we can talk about bioplastics and bioleather. And to this, I bring two different companies to the table, both with the suffix of tex, because that's the cool hip thing to do. And one is Marina Tex, which was actually started by another student from the University of Sussex, Lucy Hughes. Do you know when Lucy left? She graduated the year before I did. 2019 she graduated. 2019. You graduated 2020. Yeah, so Lucy was a product design student just like us, and her final year project was Marina Tex. And it's a plastic, it's a kind of bioplastic that's created from seafood waste. So it's taken from, yeah, it's made from... The fishing industry waste so it's from um so yeah so where where fisheries come in and they they get all the fish scales and stuff i believe and it's using that as well as 
some algae, I think. Yeah, so it's it's offal, which is a I don't know what offal is. Yeah, I've forgotten what exactly it is. Um, it's the entrails. So it's the stuff inside the fish, and then it's crustacean exoskeletons and fish skins and scales, and they all get kind of combined together into a home compostable. So this is really important. Is a lot of things are compostable. There's been compostable plastic for a very long time but most of it has to be kind of incinerated at huge, huge temperatures. Whereas this is at home, just put it under a bit of dirt and it'll disappear in a few weeks. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I saw a bit when she was exhibiting it um, at, the, at her design show. It's very cool stuff. It is stronger than LDPE, which is what most plastic bags use. So already it's fantastic. And yeah, um, Lucy won the James Dyson award for this which is kind of exciting yeah for the entire world as well not even just the national one yeah the entire world. she won the international james dyson award and it does have some algae in it i did just check it's in development she's still working on this in brighton and it's very exciting yeah so this was her final year project um and i think she was quite surprised that it did so well at the time yeah, I'm sure she was. And it's. I think a lot of people try and pull their final year projects in some form or another into a little bit of a business slash post-grad idea. Uh, but, you know, she went straight to starting essentially this into a full business and research thing. I don't believe it's any, it's not on the shelves or anywhere. Um, but no, it's still, still in development. It's still in development and they're partnering with people and hoping to produce it on making sure it's incredibly food safe and all that kind of thing. And then they'll be able to have it on food shelves. And hopefully I'd like to see it really in like places where paper and plastic are combined, because obviously plastic on its own, very easy to just trash separately. But when a packaging is like placed paper with a plastic window, this would be the perfect replacement because it just makes the entire thing compostable. You don't even have to think about recycling. You can go straight past that step too. Yeah, it's... It's a it's a really cool idea. As I said, when she started doing it, it was looking around the sort of sandwich packets where you put the, the window in it and those yeah. sort of things. Sandwich packets, perfect example. Also those bags that you get from bakeries. Yeah, it's that sort of short, quick use um plastic, I think that is sort of what she's aiming to replace. This was what was said by her when she developed it from her project. I don't know what development mm. she's made since because it's behind closed doors, but um but no, it's cool. So going on, the other one is Pinotex or Pinotex. It's a South American-based plant leather. And as a plant leather, it's basically made of pineapple leaves. So if you've ever seen a pineapple, about half of a pineapple is just leaves. And you can't really do anything with them except leather. Pineapples surprised me when I first found out how they, how they were grown a good few years ago. I what? genuinely didn't realise they just grew on sticks out of the ground. What What did you think it would be? I presume they kept, grew on trees. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This was a few years ago. They're, they're very woke cool. to the pineapple growth since then. But yeah, they do have a lot of leaves on top of the actual fruit itself. And yeah, Peanut Text is really cool. It's, a bit, it's, it's much more developed than Lucy's Marina Text. It's been around longer uh, and it has been used for things. I think they've made... They've made Pinatex handbags and... Yep, handbags, jackets. There are all sorts of companies that already make it and sell it. Um, But essentially, the the big thing here is it's a vegan leather that's actually sustainable because a lot of pleather that you get, um, 
and obviously with the growth of veganism have become popular are all incredibly unsustainable because all it is is plastic. So you go to a point where having a pair of genuine leather boots is actually much better for the environment than a plastic pair because the, le the genuine leather will last for years and years and years. However, what Pinotex does is it brings in this completely new, completely clean and green environmental leather that's made of, again, waste material from pineapples. And pineapples are a delicious fruit that everyone loves. And they get, basically, you just collect the leaves, you extract the fibers, and then it's a whole kind of drying process that makes a stringy, fibrous mess, which then gets um, pulled and spun, similar to what you do with wool. And you end up with a felt that can be solidified and compressed and finished until you get a really beautiful leather. And yeah, it's used in a few companies. I did have a link here of where you can find it. The founder and CEO of a company called Logic create water bottles that have really nice Pinotex leather handles. Uh, Marim Al-Silbay is a designer who creates trench coats and designer jackets, all of which are 100% Pinotex. And Lieslaw Frozen is another designer who has been making Pinotex leather dresses and pants. So obviously, like, you're not going to find any of this stuff at, you know, Gap yet. But they've got all sorts of designers. A lot of shoes, in fact, are working with Pinotex as well. So you're not going to find any of it in your local corner cl clothes shop. But, you know, they'll be there soon. Yeah, well, a lot of these materials are sort of proof of proof of concept at the moment aren't they as you, as you say Pinotex is further down the line um and is actually making things but it just shows that we can reach a point where you know we don't be ha have to be using real leather and, exactly for these for these things which also ties into the sort of lab grown lab grown meats in a way because if we can get to a point where we're growing all of our beef for consumption then the cows don't need to be killed for that so we can't be getting the leather from a sort of byproduct of that and then the leather can be replaced with this green alternative yeah and yeah. it will be much much better for the environment much better for all of us just looking into this further it looks like some of the places where you might actually be able to find pinotex right now is the hilton hotel they have it apparently in some of their hotels and in some shoes from paul smith and hugo boss so those are both you know brands that you can get shoes from yeah i mean they're more expensive brands aren't they but no, yeah there's... They're, they're both high-end brands but there you yep. go two places you could buy pinotex today yeah and these things i mean these sort of new materials and techniques especially in the fashion industry will always tend to start out from the higher up, mm. higher end brands, and slowly make their way down. So yeah, it's 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 getting through. It's slowly trickling down to the general consumer, and it's it's really cool. I have to say, it's so fascinating. It is incredibly fascinating, and they've got some great kind of circular economy focuses. They follow cradle to cradle, and yeah, this is the way the future will will go in terms of finding kind of conclusive replacements to animal products. Because as George said, you can't just replace the meat or the leather, you have to do both. 
yeah, I mean, these the, all these things sort of have to happen, and it's just it's it's almost a bit of an interesting race because there are so many bioplastics and biomaterials um, that are appearing at, at the moment. There's there's a lot of them out there, and they all will. I'm sure they'll all filter down into finding their own sort of niche uses. But it's just it's just interesting to see them all developing, seeing which one's going to rise to the top. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So, should we move on to our final little headline story here? We absolutely should. So, this one is the German rail networks Deutsche Bahn and Siemens have worked together and are trialling the use of a hydrogen-powered train in around Germany, which is, again, it's a really interesting and cool idea that will hopefully lead us to a fossil fuel free train network in the future god you were so close to alliterating fossil fuel free future i was wasn't i Mm. damn anyway this is interesting because hydrogen power i think i've only ever seen it as like a proof of concept in cars and even then it's tenuous at best so I was pretty surprised when I saw this because I'd not actually seen anything much about this until I saw this this sort of news story. Because yeah, when you hear about changing cars and vehicles off of fossil fuels, it's generally to electric. And I mean, as we we discussed way back in our um, episode about electric vehicles, how that doesn't work with planes, and I I guess trains could possibly come into that, although. Trains can often have just the cabling in the tracks itself, but mm. they're heavy. They're heavy, and you know, trains. Yes. This isn't just for passenger trains. This can be for freight trains as well, which again are he- these are heavy, heavy machines. So electricity possibly isn't going to be the best option for them because the batteries will weigh a lot as well. So yeah, this this is a really cool possibility and as i said it's just a trial at the moment so they're doing a one-year test um of the train in the region around the city of tubingen 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 yeah sounds right tubingen i'm gonna say um sorry to any germans out there i definitely probably got that wrong but there you go so yeah and it's they're hoping to just reduce co2 emissions it's gonna be a hopeful replacement for the diesel powertrains um obviously probably quite a lot of people are aware about how um, diesel is a lot worse than petrol. Yes. And trains have, generally have to run off of diesel because, as I said, of their size and the weight. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting that they're trialling this, mostly because for a lot of people, electric has been considered the future for trains just because, again, all the power can run through the rails, so the battery problem is basically not a problem. However, you know, something even cleaner than that would be hydrogen. So they think that it would save, what, 330 tonnes of carbon dioxide in a year? Yeah, that's the figure they're giving. Is that for the single test, or is that if they fully covered it? No, that's for the the trial alone. So that's just a single train, I think. Well, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So if this works, which I feel like it definitely could, although I think it would be difficult for this to become the kind of mass market solution for all trains in Germany or Europe for that matter. Yeah, well there's actually an interesting thing with it being in Germany, um, is the fact that 
this links to the whole of Europe. You know, they have tra- they have railway networks that go between countries. Yeah. Mm. On the mainland of Europe, obviously we have like Eurotunnel, which goes does does sort of link up with all that. Um, but yeah, so they're hoping this trial is slated to start in 2024, apparently. So it's not too soon, but I mean, I suppose that's not that far away. It's about three years away. Oh, terrifying! It really is terrifying. I mean, let's let, let's keep it in the loop. See how they go. 2024 is a. I feel like that's very early to announce it because so much can change in that much time. And many countries are trying to go fully green on their power before then. Yeah. I I do wonder if this announcement might be kind of part of their pledges, I suppose, to the green Mm. transition. That would make sense. That would make sense. Uh, Because a lot of countries, especially around Europe, are doing that at the moment. I think that's a fairly succinct and good rundown of three little sustainability stories, somewhat glimmers of hope as we come to the end of this otherwise atrocious year <laughs> yeah uh yeah i hope i hope it was interesting mm. for everyone we're just just some little little tidbits of you know as it, those kind of interesting things that couldn't really make up an entire episode in themselves but we thought we could just group three of them together and turn it into a little rundown of some interesting and fun news exactly and i think it does show a lot to what we might see on, I guess, at least for the first two, on the small scale of how small businesses and tech and people's kind of innovation could potentially really change how we see things and how the world is going green in the next few years. Yeah, and it's just, as I said, a lot of these things, especially with the, the biomaterials and these lab-grown meats, there's a lot of these things are options. It's not replacements sort of one-to-one it's it's just showing you know the capacity for other alternatives mm. and you know maybe pinatex doesn't replace all uses of leather but it replaces certain uses and exactly. some other other form of leather um bio leather will replace the other uses indeed but i think that's otherwise a good round out thank you very much for listening Here's to a sustainable 2021. Let's hope it's better than 2020. Oh God, please. (laughs) So make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you hit that follow button and you'll never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with your friends, family, co-workers and your chicken. Unlike videos and blogs, podcasts don't have an algorithm for recommendation, so we rely entirely on your word of mouth. Yes, so follow us on Instagram at assemble.it a deeper look into the show and our own work including behind the scenes outtakes projects and updates and once more remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it among your friends family co-workers and chicken we'll see you in two weeks with our next episode thanks for listening goodbye some assembly required is co-hosted and produced by pablo samoilis and george wyeth and edited by george wyeth music is by mikey burtwistle this is a 7-6 podcasting production